Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let me say we have certainly enjoyed being with you in these services. Appreciate uh, Brother Wiggins' confidence in us and also tonight to pray for them getting in the air tomorrow. The Lord would bring them home safe. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Well, the Lord has visited us already. Amen, amen. Thank you, glad visitors, for being with us tonight. You may not, <coughs> you may not understand everything about our worship, but uh, if you knew where we have been, what the Lord has done for us, <clears throat> then you would understand why we get excited when we feel the presence of the Lord. Praise God. Well, the Lord will help us tonight. We want to go and finish this series of blessings off. And we've talked to you about a relationship with God. And uh, then we talked to you morning about a relationship with yourself and knowing who you are. And tonight we want to talk to you about a relationship with your pastor. The most important part of this series other than your personal experience with the Lord is your man of God. What sets this church apart from many others is it has a man of God that hears from God and is not afraid to tell you what God said. Praise the Lord. We, uh, we uh, have known the Lord for many years. I've seen him do great things. And uh, it looked like there was no way out. And God dropped the word in a preacher's heart. Praise God. Many has been the time that I personally have come to the pulpit with a, with a message. And somewhere in that message, I just seemed to, to take a turn. Not knowing why, but it was God talking to somebody. Praise the Lord. The man of God is the most important person in your life. Amen. Uh, if, you, if you don't believe that or you have not experienced that yet, you really are the loser. I am perfectly comfortable, and let me say before I read my text, I have no problem. I'm 76 years old, retired from pastoring, <clears throat> been in the ministry over 60 years. And when I went to Tulsa, I told Pastor Howard, I said, I'm coming here, Pastor Howard, as a saint and not as a preacher. And if I ever preach in your pulpit, that will be your prerogative. 
submitting to you. Praise God. That is a comfortable feeling for me. Thank you, Jesus. Well, let's read chapter, uh, the book of Romans, chapter 13. I want to read verses 1 through 7, a rather lengthy verse. And then I'll turn to 1 Timothy 5 and 17. Romans chapter 13, 1 through 7. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. Now, that's, this is not me. This is not my writings. This is in your Bible, if you will turn and read with me, that uh, what the Lord has to say about the ministry. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power... <coughs> Resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is a minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, Tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. First Timothy chapter 5, one verse, verse 17. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. Let's pray. God, we thank you now for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And I'm asking you, Lord, to help us to understand how you feel about your word, how you feel about your man of God. Anoint our ears, God, that we can hear, and our hearts that we can accept, and that our minds, God, that we can Respond to what you're saying to us today, that we can be overcomers and be strong in truth. We'll give you praise in Jesus' name. You can be seated. The Lord bless you. A relationship with your pastor. Now, this is a subject 
that uh, you probably will not hear your pastor teach on because this is a subject that is, uh, well, it's just too, it's too personal that the gainsayer would say, well, he's just bragging on himself or he's wanting somebody uh, to bow down to him or to give honor to him. That's not what this is all about. Praise God. Now, Brother Riggin will probably go and visit another church and be able to teach this lesson, and I'm sure that he has done it very capably to help some other man. I do not uh, claim to be the first to come by here to talk on this subject, but every once in a while it's good to be reminded of the man of God, his responsibility, and the load that he carries. Now, your pastor, before I get started, uh, just in case uh, that you've forgotten in the last few weeks, he not only is carrying the responsibility and the load of this local assembly, he's carrying the load of a worldwide church. I, 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 I kind of wished that it would be possible that some of you that don't really believe what I'm talking about right now could uh, slip in his suitcase and tag along with him on one of these missionary journeys. I promise you, you would come back with a different respect for a man of God. Praise the Lord. They not only are laboring under conditions that sometimes is almost inhuman. They can't, uh, uh, several years ago, we went on a trip to uh, the Holy Land and we went through Egypt, landing in Cairo, the, uh, the major city uh, of that country. And it was either, I'm not positive, it was either a four-star or a five-star hotel that we stayed in, and they told us, do not even rinse your toothbrush in the sink from that water. It looked just like it had been pumped out of the Nile and put in the lines. Those people live under primitive conditions, but when a man of God goes there, sometimes... He don't even know what he eats. In fact, it's best not to even ask. It's easier to digest if you, well, ignorance is bliss. Praise God. Honor. And then it talks about double honor. What is, what is honor and what is double honor? Now, will you allow me tonight to just talk to you from my heart to help you? I'm not here promoting a man. I'm here promoting an office that God established. I didn't have anything to do with it. I didn't appoint it. God appointed it. 
Israel had nothing to do with who their leaders was. It was God that found Moses on the backside of the desert and said, I want you to go lead my people out. It was God that when Moses grew uh, elderly and was ready to pass on, he said, this is the man that I want you to put your spirit on and I want you to transfer the role of leadership. Praise God. Your relationship with your pastor is in direct relationship that you have with God. Now the world, the denominal world, will address their pastor as Bob or Bill or Sue or Jane or whatever the occasion may be with no respect. But if you have a relationship with God, you're going to be happy and comfortable uh, paying honor to his man. Praise God. This relationship is in direct proportion to your relationship to your God and to yourself. You don't respect yourself, you're not going to respect anybody else. You're not going to respect the policeman. It amazes me that people can be doing speeding and a policeman just turns that little light on and gets your adrenaline flowing. And by the time he walks up to your car, you've already made an excuse and sometimes can get irate. Praise the Lord. Well, God's man is God's policeman. It is said that there is no such thing as a conservative church. Well, we say we're conservative. And then we sometimes will say we're ultra-conservative. There is no such thing as a conservative church. There's only conservative preachers. Because your man of God could walk out of here uh, this weekend and it fall into the wrong hands and within six months' time or less, you'd see about anything you want to look at because of our humanity. If your pastor don't constantly push you to prayer, push you to worship, push you to be on time. It's amazing how that people can be on time on the job but consistently be late to church. Is it that they fear Pharaoh more than they do God? Just a thought. Is it that the respect and the awe is not there for God and for the man of God that 
has taught you what's right. I've told our folks, there are circumstances when you when you are to, could, could be late, you get caught up in traffic, a uh, uh, flat tire, whatever, whatever. But I said, do me a favor. When you pull up in the parking lot and you're late, at least get out of your car hurriedly and come down the sidewalk like you're in a hurry to get in the house of God. Instead of just nonchalant, you're saying, you ought to be happy that I'm coming. Oh, praise God. Let me get away from there. The house of God is where we come to prepare our minds so that the Spirit of God can come in and talk to our spirit. And if we miss that, you see, you're coming straight out of Pharaoh's brickyard. And then you're coming into the presence of the Lord and you've got all that fog in your mind. And it's so easy for the enemy to say, he don't have no love for you. He don't have a right to talk to you like that. But you come early and pray and get that out of your spirit and your attitude. And then when the preacher preaches, it don't matter how rough he gets. You can jump to your feet and say, thank you, Lord. You love me enough to preach to me. Oh, praise God. You cannot love the Lord without loving the man of God that God's placed in your life. Use your key to heaven. Now, when your pastor deals with you as an individual, and uh, there comes a time that he gets weary, and then he says, God, I've done all I can do. I remember one distinct family that we dealt with year after year, they raised their family in and out of church. They would get out because somebody had touched one of their little darlings. It was all right for their children to pull the other kid's hair or to hit them or to bite them or whatever, but don't touch my darling. While they were out, they would have another child, and they would come back. And we found out later that while they were out, they would go and have their children rebaptized in the Catholic Church. They would come back and pray through, and uh, we would do everything we could to help them get established, the last time that they walked out the door, the Lord spoke to me as plain as I've ever heard a voice. He said, leave them alone, let them go, I'm through with them. Now, that troubled me. I said, Lord, 
will you do me one favor? Will you let them come back to church one more time and just let me preach to them one more time? Let me reach for them one more time. Church, when, when your pastor, you see him under a burden and you know he's reaching for somebody, please don't sit there and count the ceiling tile or count the light fixtures. Get under a burden. Get under a load. He's reaching for somebody knowing that that could be the very last time that God will ever deal with them. And when they leave those doors, judgment is their next move and their next stop. It wasn't but a week or two and that family came back to church. I preached as hard as I've ever preached and I reached as hard as I could. And it was like a blank wall. And when they left, they never darkened the door again. It wasn't but just a little while that he come down seriously ill with a disease that took his life real short. He and my wife, over and above that, went and visited them and sat and cried and prayed with them. But it's like there's nothing there now. They went, he went out into eternity, and his wife later was heard to say, uh, with some of the church ladies one night, she gazed up into the sky and she said, see that star right there? Yeah, that's Freddie. That's how far the mind can go when the man of God is not able to reach you and to talk to you. Hell and evil men desperately desire to put a wedge between you and your man of God. I said, hell and evil men desperately desire to put a, a wedge between you and your man of God. And sometimes the devil uses those closest to you, your family. It's amazing that your family wouldn't have anything to do with you when you was on drugs and in the world but come to an apostolic church and start trying to get your life cleaned up and they have all kind of spiritual advice for you. They're not living spiritual themselves, but they can give you all kind of advice. The devil doesn't mind who he, whoever he can influence you with is the one that he will try. But if anybody tries to turn you from the house of God and the man of God, you need to wake up and smell the coffee. Because this makes the devil very effective in an individual's life. God's man is your ticket to heaven. Praise God. Your pastor is the only one that God will give spiritual direction for, for you. Now, when I, when I retired, 
I told the church, I said, as of tonight, nobody come to me for spiritual direction. God has lifted the mantle off of me and has put it on the new pastor. This is your pastor, your man of God. I can only, from tonight forward, I can only give you common advice, but I can give you no spiritual direction. Praise the Lord. I'm trying to help somebody if you'll just let me talk to you tonight. Romans chapter 10 and verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? How are you going to know about God? If you never heard about God, I'm reminded of the story. Well, let me finish reading this. And how shall they hear without a preacher? There's a little story that I read several years ago of uh, a native in the African, one of the African countries was sitting on the riverbank and uh, to appease their God, they offered their children to the crocodile. She was sitting there with her sickly little child and her other child was perfectly healthy. The missionary walked by and this lady in remorse asked the missionary to pray for her child that the Lord would uh, be gracious and heal that. He prayed for the child and went on about his way. Coming back by at a later time, there sat this same lady with this same sickly child, but the healthy child was no longer there. And he said, where is your other child? And she looked at him with her eyes. She said, I made sacrifice for my sick baby. Why would you throw a, a, a well, healthy baby? Why didn't you offer the sickly child? She said, my God deserves better than that. Our God deserves our utmost, not flimsy excuses. How shall they hear without a preacher? The man of God comes to this desk, and he has heard from God. Many a time I've taught a Bible lesson or preached a message and questioned God till the minute that I stepped in the pulpit. What is this all about, God? This is so out of character. I don't feel, I don't feel like, uh, I just, I'm not, what's going on? I don't, but come to find out God knew over my thinking 
what the congregation needed because he spoke, his word was spoken, and because of that, people responded, and God was given the glory. Now, these three questions that we just read to you are critical in our walk with God, yet if hell can cause you to not hear and not trust God's man, he has effectively caused you to cease from hearing from God. If he can put a wedge, if he can put a doubt, if he can cause you to not hear what the man of God says. We told our children when they were small, when we left uh, the car entering into church, we're going in church. Now, I'm not meddling here. You do what you, what you choose or what the pastor. But I told our children, you're to sit beside us. And you remember we're going in church. And you better not inconvenience me to cause me to have to take you outside. And I think they thought I was serious. Because I was trying to convince them, you're going in the presence of God. You're not going to take a nap during church. You're going to hear what the preacher has to say. Well, praise the Lord. You're not going to play with your toys. You're not going to bring a snack and have a picnic. You're in the presence of the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. How the devil wants to distract our children, and the children, I never cease to amaze, these children can can chew bubble gum, they can play with their Tonka toys or whatever they have, and they can still hear what the preacher says. I've got to concentrate myself. I can have some mind that is so feeble or nothing. I've got to pay attention. But, but kids can do four or five different things and, and still hear what you said, Brother Bob. Tell you what the preacher said. But they need to know they're in the presence of the Lord. They need to know that God's man is talking. We had foster kids for a while, and uh, one of them, we went, brought them to church one night, and Pastor Howard, Pastor Davis walked out of the office, and one of the kids looked up at my wife and said, Is that God? Why do we don't worship people? But I, can I tell you, the more you can instill in your children that the man of God is the closest thing to God they're ever going to get. When they get an accountable age, they're going to not only respect the man of God, they're going to respect God, and they're going to want to start seeking the Holy Ghost. Because we've put it in them that God honors his man. And when he stands to speak, it's disrespectful not to pay attention. Oh, praise the Lord. It was when Eve in the garden ceased to hear and believe what God said. Oh, it's amazing to me 
that she wouldn't believe what God said, but she listened to what the enemy said the first time around. Oh, praise the Lord. When she began and got to the place that she failed to hear and believe what God said, the devil had front and center stage in her life with her full attention. And you know the rest of the story. Jeremiah 17 and 9, the heart is deceitful above all things, and it's desperately wicked. And who can know it? I don't know my heart. Praise God. Elder Shepherd gone on to be with the Lord, but he 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 preached a, a Bible lesson one time. It was very popular in the fellowship, and he titled it "Beware of Friends and Relatives." You just take it from there. Praise God. I don't know my heart. There used to be a phrase that that was very prominent in Pentecost when uh, in the country churches when when the testimony service was allowed and folks would stand up and say, if I know my heart, I I love the Lord. But we don't know our heart. We think we do, but that's about the time that something comes out that we either say it or wonder, where did that come from? The writer says it's desperately wicked. We need a preacher to expose what's going on in our heart. How many times have I sat in the pew and the preacher has preached and I said, wow, I didn't realize that was in my spirit. I didn't realize I felt that way about that situation. I didn't realize I had that hard feeling against so-and-so because I don't know my heart. And without a preacher, you better thank God every day you live that the man of God will still come. It's not popular today to talk about sin. It's not popular today to tell men and women, if you don't get right with God, hell's going to be your home. That's not popular today because the religious world, they said, we don't want to hear about that blood. A group of our preachers not too long ago visited uh, Indiana. They went to the elder G.T. Haywood, which was one of our pioneer giants in Pentecost. They wanted to tour what's left of the building, and just for old time's sake, say I went to the church that Elder Haywood preached in, and there was an old elder there that, uh, that remembered how it used to be. And he was talking to them, giving them a tour. And as he was talking to them, he broke down, and he started crying. And he says, we don't sing them old blood songs anymore. We don't sing them old Amazing Grace songs anymore. It's got to have that certain beat to it. 
It's got to have words that you have to concentrate on to hear and understand. But there's something about amazing grace, with or without music, that you can just start singing it and you can feel the Holy Ghost settle over this congregation. There's something about the blood, nothing but the blood. I know it was the blood that saved me. It wasn't shaking a preacher's hand. It was the blood of Jesus Christ that washed my sins away. Thank God for a preacher that will still stand and get red in the face and let the veins on the side of his neck pop out and say, hey, church, it's about the blood. It still requires coming to an altar. God still requires you to shun sin and deal with the sin question. We just don't know what a heart will lead us to. The mass murderer and on and on and on. When they're, when they're caught, the neighborhood invariably will say, they were such a nice guy. We're, we're, just, we're just floored that they would do such a thing as that. And even them sometimes will say, I don't know what came over me. Something came over me and just said, kill, 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 kill. Oh, thank God for a preacher. Can I tell you, sir, man, God's not against you when he sends a preacher in your life with a message to correct you. Why is it that when though you're corrected, you hesitate to step out when you're the only one to walk down the aisle to come to an altar? Because the devil says, if you do that, they'll wonder what you've done. What difference does it make? Oh, God, let us get to the place in this end time to see the end time revival that I believe the Lord is trying to bring to this church. It's going to be because of a people. It's going to be because of good saints that the man of God, all he's got to do is just hint about something. And you will jump out of your seat and come running to an altar, not worrying about what people say about you, but it's what God says about you. Oh, God, don't let me lose your favor. Don't let me lose your blessings. Don't let your mercy stop dealing with me. Thank God for a preacher. Thank God for my relationship with my man of God that I don't get mad when he talks to me. I told my pastor many, many, many years ago, the late Dahl Spears, and most of you probably never would have even heard of him, but he was a man of God that could, could preach. He was a very large man, but if you didn't, if you wasn't looking at him, he had a very high-pitched voice, almost like a woman's voice, but evermore, could he preach, and he preached a conference one time on the five wise and the five foolish virgins. And I, I don't know, I'm not saying that I, was, I wasn't living in open sin and I wasn't intentionally doing anything wrong, 
But somehow or another, God got a hold to me and, and tears started running down my face. And the place was crowded. The place was packed. And I elbowed my way through the building until I got to Brother Davis. Uh, and I took him by the arm and, and looked him square in the face. And I said, Brother Davis, whatever you have to do to me, don't let me sit on your pew and be lost. If you have to sit me on the altar every service as an example, don't let me be lost. Don't let me sit on your pew and go to sleep. One of the most horrible things that I could think of is a good saint of God get caught up in doing right, supplying your family, providing for your family, supporting your church, but yet get so preoccupied until you become carnal. And when the man of God starts trying to get you back into that spiritual dimension, something gets crossed with the preacher. And you say, I'll just go down the street. I'll find somebody else that won't put as much pressure on me. I'll find somebody else that won't talk to me like that. I don't know what you're feeling, but I'm feeling the Holy Ghost. Uh, you can bow your back if you want to, but God's word is established in heaven. He's going to support the man of God. I'm not going to be the one that bucks the man of God. I'm not going to be the one that causes the man of God to say, Lord, I've done all I can. Praise God. Learn to love preaching. Oh, I live for the day that God's people will get excited, as, as excited over preaching as they do singing. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, we can run the aisles and we can shout and we can dance. But yet when the preacher starts preaching, that's when we kind of kick back. And that's when we get a slipper shoes off. And how the, the, to me, the most disrespectful thing you can do in an apostolic church is for your pastor to be preaching and look back there and somebody's nodded off and taken a nap. I've worked too hard for Pharaoh and when I come to the house of God God and the preacher don't mean enough to me out of respect if now when I went through boot camp Paris Island wasn't a pretty place in the first place brother when I crossed that gate I thought my world had caved in. Those people talked to me. I never heard language like they used. And I hadn't done nothing wrong yet. But when that drill instructor stood up there to give a lecture, he said, now, well, he ne he, 12 weeks I never heard was addressed as men. It was other words. To cut you down. 
to break you down, to make you feel like a dog. And he says, I'm going to just tell you, nobody better get caught asleep in my class. And he made a believer out of me. But even with all of that sternness, there were some that fell asleep. He had a he had a replica of a cinder block, eight by eight by sixteen, that was made out of foam that he kept under his desk. And when somebody went to sleep, he slipped that block out, and as it was going through the air, just before it got to your lap, he screamed your name. So when your eyes opened up, that was a cinder block coming your way. I wish God had some cinder blocks sometimes. If that's what it takes to wake people up because they're being lost. The preaching is just so nonchalant. Oh, I've heard it so often. You know when a visiting pastor of a visiting preacher comes by here, I doubt very serious uh, that I could study and dig and research uh, as long as I wanted to and come up with a message that you haven't already heard from your man of God. But I've watched people when the pastor is teaching a Bible lesson, you know, evangelists can come along and preach the same message and they swing from the chandelier. Oh, God, help us. I'm not trying to put nobody on a guilt trip, but I am trying to stir up your thinking. Oh, praise God. Listen to what the Bible says the preacher's for. Hebrews 12 and 6, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Does anybody know what that word means? Chasteneth. And then he added ETH on the end of it, which means it's a continuing, ongoing process. Every kind of time you come to church or on a regular basis, the Lord needs to rattle your chain. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receives. Now these kids today, they, they don't know what they don't know what a whipping is. They don't even know what a spanking is. Oh no, don't do that. You do that again, I'm going to spank you. And they've learned to count long before they learn to respect you because they know they've got 99 more times to hear you say it before you even become serious. 
Then when you tell them Jesus loves you, and they don't believe that, and you wonder why. My mother never did spank me. My mother never did whip me. Every time she got a hold to me, she beat me. She was not satisfied till that peach tree switch was wore down to a stub that all she could hold on in her hand. The blood ran down our legs on a regular basis when Mama got a hold to us. And you know what? She had the nerve to say while she was doing all... If you've never had a whipping with a peach tree switch, you deserve that one time in your life. You men need to let your wife do that one time. Well, that went over like a flock of dogs. But she could take that peach tree switch and never break into a sweat, and just the ring of that wrist and blood would flow down because Ever so often on a peach tree switch, there's little bumps. And when them bumps hit, they draw blood. And while she was doing that, she would say, Son, the reason I'm doing this is because I love you. I was so dense until one day I said, Well, I wish you hated me. I shouldn't have said that. Because that just made her that much more determined. Because she loved me. But you know what? She raised five boys. And to my knowledge, not a one of us ever spent a night in jail. Oh. God that loves me enough till he won't let me loose. He won't let me get away with anything. But he holds me under pressure. He sends the preacher along to, to correct me, to scourge me, to break me down that I would repent and that I would humble myself before him rather than be lost. Praise God. Praise the Lord. It's the pastor is the only person in an assembly that has the right to set standards and guidelines. There's a, there's a new doctrine going around. You may not have heard it from some of these spineless preachers that said, I don't have the right to set standards. The men are the head of the house. They need to set their own standards for their own house. But the Bible that I read said, God's not the author of confusion. The man of God sets standards not to be mean and not to cause you to be uncomfortable, 
but he sets it sometimes not even because it could be a sin, but it's a trend that comes through the land. Well, praise the Lord. And when I buck up at it, then I'm fighting rebellion in my spirit. To disagree is to be in conflict with the Lord. Now, if he, if he chastens whom he loves, and if we cannot hear without a preacher, okay, then why does folks get mad at the messenger? used to have a man in our church that was a mailman. And he said if he ever got a cursing on the job, it was on the day that the welfare checks were supposed to be delivered. And they got mixed up in the system, and they was a day late. A lot of times he never saw people the whole month. But on that day, they were standing at the door. And if he didn't have a check in, in his hand, they call him everything but what was legal. Why do people get mad at the preacher when all they're trying to do is to help the Savior Jesus Christ? Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7, And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. You see, your enemy desires to keep your eyes blinded, keep you just caught. He don't mind you coming to church. He don't mind you paying tithes. He don't mind you dressing according to the standard. He's not going to get all upset when you come and clap your hands. Huh? If he can just keep you just carnal enough, just busy enough so you can't. He desires to keep you blinded so you, can, you can't see that the preacher really has your best interest at heart. He's merely trying to get you to see yourself as God sees you and not as you see yourself. When we first, when we first started fasting, I was so naive. I, 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 I did a questionnaire one, one year. And I passed out to the to the, the members a questionnaire, and some of the questions was, what do you feel is your weakness? What do you feel and you need to move up in? Questions along that line. That my 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 goal was that I was going to start teaching 
in those areas to help them. I didn't have saints. I had angels. All of them. That's how they saw themselves. They didn't see themselves in the need of getting more spiritual, praying more. The enemy wants to keep you to the place that I'm a pretty good fella. I'm okay. But oh, the preacher, his desire is to keep an apostolic church clean and pure. That when the sinner walks in the door before the first song is ever sang, they start feeling the heaviness on their shoulders. Before the first message is ever preached, there's tears already running down their eyes. Because they're in God's holiness. They're in God's presence. Oh, hallelujah. Preacher, preach to me. Preacher, preach to me. Hold nothing back because I've got to be saved. I'm not going to have time to get things right at the last minute because it's going to be the blink of an eye and this thing's going to be over with. You're going to get rid of it tonight. You're going to deal with it tonight or you probably won't ever deal with it. Generally, when conviction gets on a, uh, an individual, if they don't deal with it before they leave the building, they get out from under that pressure, and then it's all okay for a while. John 13 and 23, now there was leaning on Jesus' breast one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. John felt Jesus' heartbeat while Judas counted the coins and complained. And the further you get away from God in His presence and the man of God, the more you'll find to complain about. So the next time you start complaining, it'd be well if you'd yank your own chain and say, wait a minute. I think I need to go pray. Oh, praise God. Every person in this building are human. If you cut your finger, you're going to bleed. Now, if there's a diehard in here that don't believe that, come up here and I'll prove it to you. Because I've got a knife in my pocket. We'll settle that issue. Because you're human, you're going to make mistakes. My mama used to say to me, son, when you point a finger at somebody else, there's three of them pointing back at you. Oh, what will happen when we get to the place that I don't spend time looking at my neighbor's but I spend the same amount of time looking at my faults. When I look at my neighbor and I want to look down their nose and to see them struggling instead of kicking them or pushing them down, I'm going to have a tendency to go over there and lift them up because I know next week I'm going to be down and I'm going to need somebody to come lift me up. 
How many times has somebody come to church and uh, somebody, uh, uh, it's more carnal than that. Well, we'll just wait and see if they make it. Why not sidle up beside them and say, let me help you, my brother. Why not walk up beside him and let me help you, my sister? I'll be glad to come in church and pray with you anytime. I'll be glad to help you till you get through your dilemma. We're in this thing together. We're not looking down at you because God in heaven is only waiting to see somebody lift their hands and say, Lord, I need you again. Praise God. 2 Samuel 23 and 15, And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. David was of the hold. He was fixing to go into battle. Now bear in mind, I'm going to talk to you men for just a few minutes. There was a whole army surrounded David. Okay? He was getting ready to go in battle. And he started daydreaming. And he said, Man, I wish to have just one more drink. This is going to be a bad battle, and we may not make it out. I just, if I just had one more drink from that old well. And there was three men that was close enough to him. They wasn't stationed there. That wasn't their duty. They just was kind of lingering around their man of God. Hear me something. I had a young preacher in, that uh, I tried to pastor, and he said to me one time in defiance, I won't ever figure you out. I said, no, you won't. Not at the arm's length that you are. You've got to get close enough to your preacher to hear what he's thinking. You've got to get close enough to your preacher to hear what he's daydreaming about. If he has to scream and yell to get your attention, you're too far away. These three men just looked at each other and they communicated as they nodded and they just slipped out. You know the story. They not only broke through the, uh, the uh, ranks of the enemy, but they got that water and then multiplied their problems by breaking back through it with the water and brought it to their man of God and said, Here, we knew. We just kind of felt like. <laughs> Sir, you've got to get close to your preacher if you're going to know what he's thinking. When he talks about revival, if you'll slip up beside him, he talks to himself quite a bit. And he said, if I just had a few men that was faithful in prayer, if I just had a few men that I could count on or whatever, 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 and God can put it in your heart, you won't be in the majority. You won't be in the crowd. You won't be in the masses. You're going to be by yourself a lot of times. But oh, whatever happened, 
to somebody coming in the wee hours of the morning and praying all. Whatever happened to all night prayer meetings, whatever happened to days of fasting that you wasn't demanded that you do it. When's the last time you got your car packed ready to go on vacation and the Spirit of the Lord kind of nudged you said, oh, I wish you'd take this vacation time and dedicate it to me in the house of God. And you look to your family and you said, we're not going on vacation this year. I'm going to spend it around the church. That's what your man of God does when his car's packed and he's going on a trip and he gets a call that you've got a hangnail and you need your pastor to come pray for you. He has to look at the family and say, we've got to go. Oh, God, help us. David said, I'm not going to demand anything, and it's so humiliating. Amen. I hope I'm making sense to somebody tonight. I hope I'm making sense that that it's your man of God that keeps the wolves fought off for your family even when your own family is fighting him when it hurts and it's embarrassing you look at anybody that's pastored a number of years and they've got scars on their body from fighting the wolf and fighting the lion to preserve some saint that wasn't even thankful for it I'm telling you a man of God that has a burden will die for his for his sheep don't weary your pastor when he's trying to save you and your children you really want to see revival anybody want to see revival anybody want to see these seats filled up let me just give you a hint. Don't require your man of God to have to come back over and over and over and teach the same Bible study and threaten you with your life over and over. But listen to what he says. And when he's just kind of dreaming, when he's just kind of talking in a low voice, church, we need to have revival. We need to have sinners in our service, every service. We need to have the waters of baptism troubled. Uh, somewhere or another, something gets a hold of somebody, and they say, that's my plight in life. Uh, that's my call. God's calling me right now. Second Samuel 21, 15, moreover the Philistines had yet war again with Israel. And David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines, and David waxed faint. David's an old man now. He's a weary warrior. <clears throat> I know I'm not going to pronounce his name right, but uh, you couldn't either. So Ish Ishkenabob, which means the sit-down. He's lazy. Spends his time just sitting around which was one of the sons of the giants. The weight of his spear weighed 300 shekels of brass in weight. He being girded with a new sword thought that he had slain David. But Abishai, which means generous, 
over and above. Give of myself. Succor him or pull him away. It means to help in the time of distress. He pulled him away from David and he smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto him, saying, Thou shalt not go, thou shalt go no more out with us to battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. David, you're more important to us just being our king, just being our pastor. From now on, we're going to be doing the fighting. Are you hearing me, men? From now on, your man of God's going to land in the States on Tuesday morning, and he's not going to know if it's daylight or dark. Jet lag is going to have a hold of him, and he's not going to have energy to do nothing. But you'll be in church when the doors are open. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Come on, men. Pastor, we want to let you know we're going to start taking some responsibility around here as long as you will allow us to do it and your life is clean. We want you to just spend your time in prayer and study of the Word of God and spend your time preaching to us. Let us do the work. Let us do the labor. Let us. I don't know how many churches that the pastor has to open the building, turn the air conditioner on, close the building when it's over, when everybody else is already at McDonald's. I don't think it goes on around here, but if it does, please try to change that. Uh, pastor, I'm not going to sit on you anymore when the Spirit of the Lord begins to move. I'm going to be on my feet. I pledge to you, Pastor, I'm going to be the worshiper in this church from this night forward. When you come back, you're not going to recognize me as a saint of God because I'm tired of seeing you get weary. I'm tired of seeing you fight hell all day long and then flying off to another country and fighting hell over there and then coming back home while I take a siesta. Keep your pastor encouraged. Keep your pastor encouraged by showing him that you love God, that you love him, and that you love his good wife. <laughs> Praise God. This is some of the double honor that you can pay him. Your relationship will with God will grow. Your relationship with yourself will grow. Your relationship with your man of God will grow. And then your church will grow. There, there, there's ingredients that you put in a cake. If you want it to be a cake, I don't care how much of a professional baker you are. You leave the flour out and you're not going to have a cake. 
you put a pound of lard in it, you don't put the flour there, and you're not going to win the prize. Except I thought you might win the prize. And if you want revival, there's some ingredients that you're going to have to put in this revival. Your man of God and his wife can kill With their leadership, you good saints kill them. We're going to do it, and we're going to do it this year. You keep saying someday, and it'll be someday. But you say, we're going to do it. And we're going to do it this year. Pastor, all we ask you to do is just guide us. Watch us. Keep giving us a correction course. And you start watching the families off the street that you never met walk in the door and say, I'm just driving by. I don't know what pulled me in here, but I'm here. I like what I feel. I want to live for God. <laughs> and when your church revival breaks out, this will be the church that Calvary intended. Satan will have no inroads and advantage over you and your family. I'm closing with John 14 and 30. Henceforth, I will not talk much with you. For the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Men, oh, help me, Jesus, right here. I recently, in helping Pastor Howard, he had asked me to help him with some counseling. I was counseling a couple that had major problems under murder for a counselor. And he was one of those men that, bless God, the Bible says for the wife to be subject to the husband. He didn't want her to be subject to him. He wanted her under his heel. The Lord took the woman from the rib under the arm of the man to surround her and protect her. And Sarah, if you've got that idea, that's one of the areas that can stop a move of God is for a rebellious man to demand his wife crawl on her belly to him when he's so stubborn he won't submit to God. Oh, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, men, you 
learn how to treat your wife like a queen. And she'll treat you like a king and you won't have to demand it. But you'll start seeing the favor of God coming in your life. God's looking for some leaders. looking for some leaders not some wants he's looking for some leaders that will lead his family in prayer that will lead his family in worship that will lead his family in soul winning that will lead his family in submission that will lead his family to the man of God and say we're submitting to you as a family. Praise God. Thankfully, I hesitate for some reason to bring this suggestion, but let me bring it. And if Pastor Ridgen don't agree with it, just just dissolve it. But when you call a, a, another man in this church brother, and it should be, because you are brothers, but when you call the pastor brother, are you with me? You're pulling him down to your level. But when you address him as Pastor Ridget, you're telling the world, this is my pastor. When you're downtown and you introduce him as Pastor Ridgen, you're saying to them, I respect this man. When you see him in the hall and you say, Praise the Lord, Pastor Rigdon. That's part of the double honor that you can pay your man of God out of respect that God in turn will bless you for honoring the man of God. Could we stand? Would you lift your hands? And would you let the Holy Ghost I know I've said a lot of stuff here tonight in the last hour. Some of it is kind of hard to digest. But with your hands in the air, it'll help you digest it better. Could you make some resolves? My man of God and my pastor's wife are going to be put on a different level as of tonight. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to make it a part of my life to not grieve my man of God ever again. Come on. Some of you could break out in a shout from the deliverance that you're going to feel. When you understand the devil's been playing with your mind, been trying to help you, to not listen to the man of God. 
But oh, you're going to get on another dimension when you start hearing what heaven is saying through the man of God. Come on, somebody ought to get excited. Somebody ought to get excited. I'm looking at things through different eyes. I'm looking at it from another direction now. Thank God for my man of God. Thank God for the relationship that I'm going to start building with my man of God. When he comes back home, you need to tell him so. Hallelujah, hallelujah, I feel the Spirit of the Lord moving in this place tonight. Why don't we respond to what we feel tonight? Hallelujah, hallelujah. You ought to let the Lord and you ought to let the devil know that I'm submitted to my man of God. He's, not, he's more than just a brother. He's my pastor. Hallelujah. He comes.
Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's lift our hands and thank the Lord for his word one more time tonight. Hallelujah, Jesus. We thank you, Master, for speaking to us. God, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Oh, God, we worship you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Don't you feel the spirit of the Lord trying to move in? Hallelujah. Let's let the Lord have his way right now. Hallelujah. The Lord could be changing a heart. Let's not stop him short of what he wants to do in this service tonight. Hallelujah. 